If you got your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be there for a little bit. February 19th, 2001, I took a job. I was a senior in high school. Sports was over, and so I got out of school at 12.30. And I had a friend whose parents owned this shop, and it was a NASCAR shop. And they asked, they had other full-time jobs. They said, can you just open it for us from one to five? All you got to do is run the register, and there'll be two to three people that come in a day. Uh, we don't need you to come in beforehand. We'll leave directions for you the first day and go from there. So I was like, yeah, that'll be the easiest money I've ever made, right? So I show up February 19th, 12.45, and there are over 200 people waiting outside the store for me. So not only am I not prepared for that, but here, here's the kicker is I don't know anything about NASCAR. And so I'm walking up and people begin to ask me, where's your number three stuff? Where's your number three stuff? And I'm like, who in the world is number three? <laughs> so once I get into the store, I am told that February 18th, Sunday, Dale Earnhardt had passed away on the track. And so all these people were coming to buy his merchandise. And so nobody used his name. Everything was number three. And I, I didn't know who Dale Earnhardt was either, but number three didn't mean anything to me either. So I'll tell you that story because this is gonna be the second most hypocritical thing I've ever done in my life. This sermon, I do not practice. It is, it is not part of my lifestyle. And so as, as we walk through this together, I want you to know that I am speaking to myself as well. We're gonna talk, talk about Sabbath and I'm not good at it. Exodus 20, the 10 commandments. So here, here we are. We have all the Israelites that have been brought out of Egypt. They had been in slavery for hundreds of years and they're wandering in the desert. They wander, God provides. They wander, God provides. They wander, God provides. And then the Lord provides these 10 commandments. And this is what the 10 commandments say. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. We can do that. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. We can do that. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We can do that. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Let's go to the next one. Honor your father and, and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Got it. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And we can do nine out of 10 of those really good, right? But for some reason, we feel like we've got to negotiate number four, the Sabbath. And so in our negotiations, we say, well, we can do this much on the Sabbath, but this is the line. We can, we can walk this far. We can carry this much. We can do this much. Why don't we do that with any of the other ones? Why don't we say, you can murder this much, but here's the line. We can, we can commit adultery this much, but here's the line. We don't struggle with any of those except for the Sabbath. What is it about the Sabbath that causes us to be unfaithful to the promise, to the gift that God has given us in the Sabbath? 
Now, I don't want this to be just another, another lesson on the Sabbath. So, so when I say Sabbath, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about a whole day. What I'm asking us to do is to pause. What I'm asking us to do is just to rest. And that's what I want you to feel invited and called to this morning. So let's pray. God, we're grateful for the word. And I pray that as we open it, that you would bring it to life. We believe that your word is living, that it is active. We believe that your word sets way for us. And so with open ears, with open hearts, we receive what you have to say this morning. I ask in humility that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, that it's not my words, but they're of your words that you have to give us, that you have prepared our hearts to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So decades ago, the psychologists set out on these sleep studies. And what these studies were trying to show was the pattern of how electricity, when it was invented, began to disrupt our sleep cycles. So in the 1870s is when electricity was invented, and then it began to, to enter into homes in the mid-1920s or so. By, by the 1920s, about half the homes in America began to have electricity. And you can see that there was this internal rhythm that people had with rest. The sun came up, you woke up. The sun goes down, it's time to start winding down. But as electricity came into play, our days begin to elongate and our days begin to lengthen. And now we can do things at night and our workday can get longer and we can have activities at night. And so though we still wake up at the same time, we don't go to bed at the same time. And so these sleep studies show how the rhythm of life was thrown off by electricity. Our internal rhythm was thrown off. The average American breathes 12 to 20 times a minute. So if you, if you were just to stop right now and count a minute, you should breathe anywhere from 12 to 20 breaths a minute. If you're over 20, you might wanna get that checked out. The optimal breathing rate for a human being, what doctors would say is about six breaths a minute. And six breaths is where we intake the correct amount of oxygen and we exhale the correct amount of carbon dioxide. Even our breathing is fast. And so I just wanna ask you just to breathe, to pause and allow yourself to be refreshed. 80 to 90% of our energy comes from breathing. 80 to 90% of our energy comes from breath. You know, I remember uh, when my kids were young that there's this point of being tired and then there's this point beyond tired. And in that point beyond tired, it is impossible to go to sleep. So some of you have, have young kids right now and you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this point that if you go past it, it's gonna be a long night. You know what I mean? And so you're in the car and all, all as a parent, you're thinking, oh, I just want this kid to go to sleep. And I mean, they're screaming and kicking and everything. And, but, and you know, you know, it's past the point. But I think as adults, we, we struggle with some of the same stuff. That when, when we get dangerously exhausted, it looks like this. It looks like a dissatisfaction with life. It looks like a lack of control that we keep trying to grasp and grasp and we work harder to grasp and we work harder to grasp. And it, it, it even builds on the dissatisfaction with life. We begin to struggle with our identity when we become exhausted of, of who we really are. And it opens ourselves up 
to the lies of the enemy. But then it also causes us to be emotionally numb. I, my, my personality is, is I'm, I'm pretty much right here. I don't, I don't get really excited and I don't get really down. And I, I used to kind of wear that as, as a badge of honor of, you know, I, I don't really feel bad things. But what I've learned is when I don't feel bad things, it also causes me not to feel good things. And so sometimes I just feel stuck in the emotionally numb part of my exhaustion of doing, doing, doing that I can no longer feel life. Does that make sense? I work in the Metroplex and so I drive, I drive into the Metroplex three days a week. And on that drive, I listen to the radio, I listen to music, I listen to talk radio, sometimes I listen to podcasts. But when my wife calls or when someone calls while I'm on the road and I answer the phone, what, what do I do? I, I turn it down, right? Because if that's playing and I'm listening to it and I'm trying to listen to her, something is not going to register there. And so I turn it down. If, if I have a map on, on my phone while I'm driving, when, whenever, whatever that girl's name that, that says the directions on there, whenever she begins to speak, I turn down the radio because it's important for me to hear the directions for where I'm going. So I take that of where I turn down the volume in that part of my life. You know what I, you know what I do when I need to spend time with God? I go on a run. And you know what I do when I go on a run? I put earphones in and I listen to music or I listen to radio or I listen to a podcast. So when I need to spend quiet time, listen to this. As I say it out loud, it sounds even more stupid. When I need to spend quiet time, I turn on more noise. When I talk to my wife, I turn down noise. When I talk to God, I turn up noise. Wow. What is it about the quiet that we struggle with? And Darren mentioned earlier, it, it can be awkward. There, there, can, there can be some unknown that comes in that. Sometimes, sometimes in, the, in the quiet, the, the, the unknown is, it's fearful. You know, what if, what if something actually happens here? What are, we, what are we gonna do with that? What if I don't like what God has to say? But then to take it a step further, sometimes in the quiet, it's the known that we fear. It's the known that we've suppressed. It's the known that we've hidden. It's the known that, that we wanna make sure that no one, including God, can get a hold of. I love the way the psalmist David puts it in Psalm 32. He, he says that when I held my sin within me, my bones were wasting away. But when I called out to the Lord, when I confessed my sin to the Lord, life was brought to my body. There's a power in the quiet. There's a power in the stillness that God calls us to. I was listening to this Jewish rabbi teach on the Sabbath and it was one of the most eye-opening things to me, but he goes around the nations talk, talking on the Sabbath. And he, and he did this part of this podcast where he, he did the most common questions or responses that he gets 
to his talks. And one of them is this. Uh, he said, some guy came up to him and he says, you know what? I'll rest when I get to heaven. I don't need to rest right now. And I love this, this rabbi's response to him. He said, no, if you don't rest here, you're just going to get to heaven quicker. I was like, yeah. We, we can keep running here. It's just going to draw us to the finish line quicker. This other guy said, um, you know, the devil next, never takes a day off, so why should I? So that's our standard now? Is, is what the devil is going to do? I mean, we have this, this God-ordained day in the Old Testament that then we see practiced in the New Testament, but our standard is going to be Satan doesn't take a day off, so we're not taking a day off. And in fact, you know the only time in Scripture that we see a spiritual entity who is characterized as busy is the devil. We don't ever see it with God. We don't ever see it with Jesus. We don't ever see it with the Holy Spirit. We don't ever see it with angels. The only time in scripture when we see a spiritual entity characterized as busy is in Job chapter one, when it says Satan came before the Lord. The Lord asked him where he had been. And he said, I've been busy roaming the earth looking for someone to hold accountable. And that's our standard. Over and over again in scripture, we see Jesus withdraw to solitary places. And I believe that, that the writers of the gospels are intentional in the way that they put this. They say he withdrew to a solitary place. He went off by himself. He withdraws by himself. And you know, every time, every time that we see that in scripture, something big is about to happen. He comes back, he walks on water. He comes back, he calms the storms. He comes back, he names his 12 disciples. He comes back, he feeds 5,000. He comes back, he bears our sin to the cross. Every time. Now, I don't want you to hear me say that when you spend time in quietness with God, something big is gonna happen. What I do want you to hear me say is when you spend time with God, it will center you on kingdom activities. And it recenters the core of who we are. Because when, when, when we wander and when we're off from God, it becomes us as the core of who we are. It becomes us making the decisions for who we are. And church or God or life group or Bible class or doing good things is a branch of that. But the gospel has shifted from the core of who we are into just a branch of who we are. And what spending quiet time with God, what pausing does when we breathe, it reestablishes the core of who we are to center our hearts, to captivate our thoughts on kingdom activities. And it, it makes way for where we are to walk. Are you with me? So Jesus withdraws the solitary places. He does these things that enters into kingdom activities. But what do we do with the Sabbath? The way the psalmist puts it in Psalm, Psalm 23 is, is you lead me beside quiet waters and it restores my soul. The word for soul there in, Hebrews is, in Hebrew is nephesh. Can you say that? Nephesh. Now what nephesh means is it means our soul, but it, it means our being. In fact, it means our breath. And so we go back to what we talked about earlier with our breath. God restores our breath. It restores our rhythm. It restores our pattern. I've never known anyone to be alive that can't breathe, right? If we don't have breath, usually that's not a good thing. But God restores our nephesh. He calls us into kingdom activities of where we are. 
this, this Jewish rabbi that I was listening to talked about this diary that he came across. And it was a diary of, of a Nazi soldier in World War II. And he, he led one of the concentration camps. And as they had Jews enter into this concentration camp, he said, originally our intention was to let them observe their Sabbath still. And he said, and for a short while, we allowed them to observe Sabbath. But we found out very soon that when they observed their Sabbath, it restored their will. And so we took it away. But there's something about pausing that restores who we are. It restores the core of who we are. I can, I can go water my yard. I can take the hose. I can take my sprinkler. I have my spigot to my house. And if I don't connect my hose to the house, is the hose useful? Is the sprinkler useful? I can connect the hose to the sprinkler. I can move it around the yard. I can move it with my hand and move it like it's spraying around the yard. But if it's not connected to the source, it's useless. But so often we spend our lives moving around the yard, connected to certain pieces, but we're not connected to the source. And we don't take time to go back to connect to the source so that we have the power that identifies the core of who we are. And we wonder as we walk around the yard, why are we exhausted? Why am I not getting anything done? Because we're not connected to the source. It provides rest for the journey instead of working it all out and then resting. In fact, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 11 is, do your best to get it worked out and then come see me then. He says, you want a better way? Let me show you a better way. You're exhausted, you're tired, let me restore. You need direction? Take my yoke. Let me show you direction. I have a better way for what you're doing. Now, I recognize that in doing this, that sometimes your jobs will require you to work. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all, but you realize that we work more than any other people ever, and it causes that to be our identity. Going back to, to the Exodus story. So, Back in the beginning, the Israelites have moved into Egypt. Originally, they're not slaves. They've moved into Egypt. They begin to multiply a number. And what the Pharaoh says is, is we're beginning to be overcome by these Israelites. We need to enslave them. And so over time, they enslave the Israelites and they put them to work. And hundreds of years, this rhythm goes on. They work, they slave, they work, they slave. And finally, this, this man comes, Moses, who's gonna free them. They walk out, they go into uh, the desert, they wander, God provides. They wander, God provides, just like we talked about earlier. For us, it's the turn of a page. But for hundreds of years, this is a people were, who were enslaved, which says there is not one person that came out of Egypt into the desert that knew life before slavery. Everyone that came into the desert was defined as a slave. So when, when I hear the Ten Commandments in my westernized Christianity, what I hear is rules and commands. And there's something about me that just rubs me the wrong way about that. I'm American. We don't have rules. We don't have commands, right? 
We got freedom. But here, here's a different light of the Ten Commandments. Here's a people that were brought out of slavery and didn't know how to live. Here's the people that were brought out of slavery and didn't know how to live as free people. They didn't know how to be provided an opportunity to just worship their God. So what does God say at the beginning? You shall have no other gods before me. And he sets this way of life for them. And he, he puts in this day called Sabbath that says for six days you can work but on the seventh day, I'm gonna remind you who you are. You're not a slave anymore. When you were in slavery, uh, you, you, were, you were found by how many bricks can you lay? How many bricks can I make? And for seven days a week, that's what you did. Now on the seventh day, I'm gonna remind you who you are. Your identity, your success, uh, the value of who you are is not found anymore in how many, slave, or how many bricks you laid today or how many bricks you made or what you built or what you did for someone else. Your identity is gonna found, be found in me who's calling you my son, my daughter, my people, bottom line. And when we skip that, we miss a crucial step to the identity of who we are and we become exhausted. You know, the Jews uh, for a long time had this tradition that on the Sabbath, the father would wake up and he would serve each child a spoon of honey. And the point of that was he did not want any of his children to go without recognizing the sweetness of the Sabbath. But we skip over it in our busy lives. You know, maybe I can illustrate it this way. So I got my red Solo cups. Toby Keith would be happy. Can everybody see me right here? All right, so we're going to call this cup God, okay? So God, we come, we pray that God would pour into us, that he would fill us, right? We're going to spend time with God, and God fills us up. Now here, here's one of the biggest things that westernized Christianity struggles with is God fills us up and we stay like this. And we walk around and we walk around and we walk around and we experience a selfish form of Christianity not pouring into anyone else. And what this says is, I didn't like those songs. That sermon didn't speak to me. I'm gonna go somewhere else because that sermon didn't speak to me. I'm gonna go somewhere else because they treated me poorly. Me, 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 me. And that's the extent of my experience of God. And so this is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength without ever recognizing love your neighbor as yourself. And it's arguably the most selfish form of Christianity that we can have. So here's the other way that we get. Here's God. God, will you fill me up? He fills us up. We go pour into someone else. We dump it all out. God's still right here. God, will you fill me up? God, will you fill me up? But we never give God an opportunity to fill us back up. So God's trying and he never fills up. So we get filled up. We go jump into everything we can do. We go, 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 go. We do, 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 do. And we're doing great things 
but we're expending all of our energy doing it. And then all of a sudden we wonder, why am I exhausted? God, I'm doing all of these things for you. Why am I still exhausted in my spiritual walk? And about every six months to a year, finally we'll turn our cup back over to be filled again. And it's a draining form of the spiritual walk that we're not called to. So here's what I believe we are called to. Simone, can you help me real quick? You already got wet once. You don't mind getting wet again, right? All right. So here's God. Here's me. Can you tip your, just kind of twist it. There you go, just like that. And we're just constantly pouring into each other. And it's just constant flow, flow. Thank you, Simone. You didn't even get wet. In first service, I got the girl a little bit wet. And so it's this constant flow where we're not working out of, if all I have is this much water, I don't know if you can see that. If all I've had this much water and I pour into someone else, we're not working out of that anymore. We're working out of our overflow. And God is pouring and we're pouring and we're pouring into someone else who's pouring into someone else, who's pouring into someone else, who's pouring into someone else. And that's called the body of Christ. And not only that, that's called the testimony of what we're called to share with others. But when all I experience is this selfish form of Christianity that walks around with my cup full, with my chest out, it's a haughty form of Christianity. It's a proud form of Christianity that will be humbled. But on the flip side, when when all I focus on is filled, dump, filled, dumped, it's a draining form of Christianity. And both of those are false. So if you can take one word from this, I just want you to hear pause and breathe. And in our breath, in our nephesh, God restores. Now, sometimes we we see water, maybe it's in a bottle or we see water that's shaken up and it looks so uh, rough. And that's our lives sometimes. And God wants to just still the waters. And he wants to restore. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward and we're just gonna spend a little bit of time in prayer and worship here. Um, I know there are people in this room who are exhausted and can't figure out why and can't break the cycle, can't break the rhythm. Can you just pause? I know life is busy. I know kids are busy. I know relationships are busy. I know jobs are busy but we need to be recentered on kingdom activities. And when we recenter on kingdom activities, all of those will fall into place when they become a branch of the core of Jesus Christ. I know there are people in here who are hurting, who have hidden and suppressed things that they don't want seen. Maybe out of fear for uh, things that they've done or maybe out of fear for things that someone else has done to them. And it's exhausting carrying that burden. And so that's where I want you to hear that invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden. I will give you rest. I will restore your nephesh. I will restore your soul. I will still your waters. It's who we're called to be.
So I'm gonna ask you to stand. Let's just pray. Spend some time in quiet. God, we're, we're grateful for the power of restoration that you offer us. And forgive us when we don't receive it. Forgive us when we're too busy to receive it. Forgive us when we're too busy doing good things for you that we neglect to be filled. Would you call us back to the core of who you call us to be? Would you call us back to still waters? You are a God of restoration. You're a God of resurrection. And you're a God who's lavished your love on us. Would you call us sons and daughters? In the name of Jesus, amen.